0: This was, a, this was like the, the most enjoyable slideshow I got to put together for Sunday school class because there's like no words. It's all gonna be pictures. Um, we're at a point here in Job chapter 38, and it'll probably take us two weeks to get through this. We'll see, 38 through 42, where God is now speaking. And it's it's more than just the conversation he had at the beginning with Satan. This is God actually declaring things, and so we're gonna slow way down and make sure we where we were jumping through and getting the highlights of each chapter. Now we're gonna slow down and make sure we get each and every word that God says and and apply it to the situation as it as it appears. You remember last week we had Elihu, who was the young, inexperienced one who was speaking, and he spent like seven chapters talking, and with Elihu, uh, not only was he young and foolish, um, but he also spoke a lot, and he really doesn't do more to advance the conversation. He repeats some of the things that Job himself had said about God and how he deals with difficulty, as well as telling some of the things, repeating some of the things that the three friends said, but he doesn't add any real new information. And I think that's in his own arrogance he was doing that, but I also think it's one one more of the reasons that uh, he is found here right before God speaks, because it reminds us of some of these false notions about who God is and how do you deal with evil things when they happen, and what's your view of what's going on. Uh, right before God clarifies things. And again, we don't see in chapter 38 any response to Elihu. So those of you less than, I don't know, 45, 50, I'm kind of right in that transition zone, just be really careful when you're really sure about your theology and you're really sure about what you think. Um, There's a decent chance you don't have the life experience yet to uh, say things that haven't already been said and and that you have some special understanding that that no one else does. There we go. There's all the words in in the full sight set right there. Um, So we start with Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. You would think that this was directly in response to Elihu, because he's the one who just finished talking, but as I said, Elihu kind of represents the foolishness of the others as they spoke, and now he's actually directing these questions to Job himself, as that's who responds to God's questioning here. God appears in a whirlwind. He appears without being seen. In a way, he's condescending in that he's willing now to come and speak to Job about what's going on. Job has assessed the situation without knowledge of what happened between God and Satan to get us here back in chapters one and two. Since then, Job has questioned what God was doing. And now... God is going to actually question Job, just to show how crazy it is for Job to think he could stand and question God. That idea that Job as a man can actually stand up to God. You'll remember Job on a couple of occasions wanted, you know, if I could just go and present my my case to God, and I will show you how innocent I am, and I'll show you why it is I'm in the right here. Um but that's not an opportunity. We don't get to do that. And God here condescends to Job and gives him his request and uh, states how foolish that truly is. I think each one of us has had the opportunity in our lives to be tested in such a way that you wonder, does God really know what it is that he's doing? Does uh, Does God understand the situation that we're in? Looking at it, Hopefully, in retrospect, you can see how silly that is. I know that uh, for me, when my parents divorced, uh, I have I have a strong distaste for divorce, and turns out God does too. God hates it. There's not too many things God says that boy, I really hate that. But He says that about divorce, and I was like, so I can get mad now because God gets mad and. Uh, God is allowing this. I, I, at a young age, fully believed in the sovereignty of God in all things. And so I got mad at God and I thought, well, this is right, I can do this. And in my own foolishness and in my own youth, uh, I sinned in a way that Job here himself has sinned. Job is the most right of all the characters, but he himself has issues here and God's gonna call him out for that. So if we go to the next slide. We'll see if these are... There we go. Um, Yeah, that's probably it. All right, so um, verses uh, four through 16 then. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. It is interesting here because God is using the illustration of laying a foundation. And if you remember the earth, when it was first made, it was formless and without void and darkness moved on the surface of the deep. And that's the picture where God's starting here. And he's, he's mentioning the morning stars singing together and the sons of God, the picture of the angels watching this and their response to God creating, but he's condescending this whole idea of creation to what we as men do. We lay a line, we measure things, uh, we sink bases for foundations, um, we, we understand construction. Job himself understands these concepts and God is almost mocking Job and, and humanity by saying, yeah, that's how I did it. I, I did it just like you did. I took out my measuring tape to see how big things would be. No, God spoke and it came into being and here he's, he's taunting Job You're going to come and question me. I created the whole universe and and it's not like I did it the way you build things. And the audience who watched me do this were the angels themselves and they shouted for joy when they saw it happen. Verse eight, or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and I placed boundaries and set a bolt on doors bolt and doors. And I said, thus far you shall come and no further. And here shall your proud waves stop. It's an amazing picture of the sea. When God separates the sea from the land, God determines this is where the sea will be. And this is where land will be. Now he's already shown in Contrast or, or this is in contrast to what was declared by Elihu that God does things and steps away and he 's an impersonal God and just kind of lets things happen. we know that 's not true because shores are still where they 're at. We know that God actually has his hands on things. This is what I often think of whenever people start talking about well as we 're faced with global warming, the seeds are going to take over the land well it 'd be nice if man was in charge of where the seas finish and land starts, but we're not. God himself is the one who sets its boundaries. He, he, he sets a bolt and doors that the sea can come here and no further. This isn't just with creation. God isn't arguing that Job, yeah, I, I kind of set things in motion at the beginning and it's just, we'll see what happens. God is arguing with Job, Job, I am in ultimate control of all things. I started them and he's going to say, I continue to control things. We're going to see that as we look at individual animals. So take reassurance to the fact that if you're one of those who's concerned about our environment and whether or not God is still in control of it, he is, to the point where even the seas can't change. Now, of course, there's a whole thing of where will the polar ice caps melt. But by the way, when the polar ice caps melt, the ice goes up because there's less ice, which means there's less sea being displaced and the waters never change. We've known that for about 40 years now. The science is the sea levels aren't going to change significantly. They can't, even if all the polar ice caps melted. Um, Verse 12, then. We can go to the next slide, then. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? Is it changed like clay under the seal and they stand forth like a garment? From the wicked, their light is withheld, and the uplifted arm is broken. Here we see that God himself even commands the morning. He even commands the the stars in the sky. He commands the, the celestial bodies as they move, as we are flying through space, spinning on our axis. God is ultimately the one who commands that to happen. And, and again, maintains that as it's happening. He's the one that causes each day in Job's life to take place, not just the beginning of the sun coming up, but all the events that take forward from there. Because it says here that basically the light shines on everybody. It shines on the wicked and shows their evil deeds. And it, it causes them to be exposed In fact, God even withholds light from the wicked. And he breaks those who hold their arms up against God. God is ultimately in control of all these things. And and nature follows his commands even to this day. He's in charge of all of that. Then verse 16 Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? And, and go to the next slide here. And oh, uh, how do you kill the lights up here? Because you can just barely see that, which is more than you'd see if it was real. But is that any better? Okay. Does anyone know what that is? No, Close. It's a megamouth, so you can see. You can't really see it. This is the. This is the. This is the person. It's not a cartoon. It's real. That's megamouth. Megamouth lives down in some of the. uh, We'll see him near the surface, but um, I couldn't find the picture. They just had a picture of one down in the. What's the abyss? The Mariana Trench, yeah. So these huge, enormous creatures that we, we still are getting information of creatures we didn't know existed or that we thought were long extinct that lived down in the recesses of the sea that we're completely unaware of. And that's what God is referring to here. The, the, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Job, you seem to know everything that goes on. It should be telling us that. We seem to think we know everything that's going on, yet we don't even know the whole extent of our own earth. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. And Job has to answer, no, I, I really don't. I I really haven't seen all these things. I don't know all things. I don't have all knowledge. That was Elihu's response, if you remember. He was the one who had, the one who has all knowledge is, is among you. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is it placed? Do you remember that in the story of creation, as God revealed it in the book of Genesis, God created light and darkness and evening and morning were the first day. Had he created any of the stars or the moon or the sun itself? None of that is created yet. Light and darkness were created by God before there were lights to provide that. They are ultimately from God. And he's making that point here. Do you know the dwelling of light or darkness? Where is its place? Where do these things come from, Job? You're going to question me on something as, in the grand scheme of things, as trivial as insignificant as one man's life, as small in comparison as one man's life to the the workings of the entire world, and you don't even know where light and darkness come from. We still don't fully understand it, by the way. That you may take it to its territory. So God is saying, not only do I know where it came from, but I'm in charge of it. Do you understand it? You may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Were you actually around? Job, you're pretty old now, but are you old enough to know when light and darkness were formed? Did you actually command them to go where you wanted them to go? Again, he's condescending. God spoke, and things were. He's condescending to this this idea of this is what it would be if you tried these things. You didn't do these, you weren't even around. I love this. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? Where is the way that light is divided to the earth or the east wind scattered on the earth? This idea that God stores snow up. I think we may have a picture of that. Stores snow up. In the mountaintops, and and this is even more than this because it's hail. Where does God store hail? The idea that when a storm comes, there's this repository of hail that God then puts into the clouds and it falls down. That, of course, is silly. That's not how storms work. That's not how snow works. These things are formed what seems out of nothing. I think tomorrow night we're supposed to have storms and out of nothing, it'll seem like a nice calm day. Now we start to understand some of the pressures of of humidity, some of the updrafts and the hot air coming in and the cold air hitting that and causing the creation of these things in the atmosphere. But let's be honest, that whole system was put in place by God and is maintained by God. Job himself does not have an understanding of that. God, again, is simplifying what is his creation and his maintenance going forward of creation and how it all works out to something that, that is, is finite, like man. He's pointing out to Job that, Job, you are just part of the creation and your life goes forward and it's all in my hands. Just like the creation of snow out of the cold air and the humidity that's in the air and the creation of hail with the huge updrafts that that it takes to produce those things, the thunderheads that produce that. Who has cleft a channel for a flood or a way for a thunderbolt to bring rain on a land without people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the seeds of grass sprout. Again, this picture of God and what he does, he, he not only cleft a channel for the flood in other words he he this isn't the channel that gets left after the flood this is the idea that when the flood comes it's God who directs its path and shows it where to go and pushes it forward down onto the earth in much the way that he has marked out the way for a thunderbolt And that's just a crazy thought is that the idea that each lightning bolt that we see where it travels and how it works its way through the sky down to the earth is something that is wrought by God himself. God is the one who even controls where thunderbolts go from cloud to the ground or from cloud to cloud. These things are all in the hand of God. Job, can you do these things? Have you done these things? And then to satisfy the waste and desolate land to make the seed of grass, seeds of grass to sprout. Job, do you even care about what goes on in the desert? Because I do. You know, if you were in charge, Job, you would make sure that your crops and your animals all got water. I do it for everywhere on the earth, whether man's there or not. Does it, when a tree falls in the in the woods, is there anyone there to hear it? Yes, God made the tree fall. God actually hears the tree fall. God cares about the places where man aren't. In verse 28, I think we're I think there's a cloud picture next, just to. Oh no. You can leave it there. That's perfect. Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb has come the ice and the frost of heaven? Who has given it birth? Water becomes hard like stone, and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. I think we're seeing a picture of of maybe even the solar the polar ice caps there that God is forming. But all these things are formed by God. He's giving them. Almost human characteristics here with a womb in the heavens giving birth to frost. Do you even, do you even not, not do you understand where they come from, but do you understand how they come about? How is it that where they come from even comes about? Job, are you there? Do you know these things? God doesn't have storehouses of light, darkness, flood, rain, ice, He made it all in the beginning and he continues to control it all. It's all in his hand. It's all being commanded by him. Our God is infinite. This is nothing to him to control these. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinance of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Now God takes Job and causes him to look up to the sky and he names some of the constellations that we see in the stars that we see. And it's not only Job, do, do, you, do you know how these were created? It's, do you understand how it is that these are brought and in their seasons, they make their motions through the night sky, not only from, from dusk till dawn, but each season as they shift, as the earth continues to tilt on its axis, changing from season to season. Because I do that, Job. This is what I do. Can you do this? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season, guiding the bear with her satellites? Are Are you able to move these things exactly where they're supposed to be? And then this incredible statement, do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? We don't understand this at the time this is written. You have to remember, this is written probably... Sometime around the time of between Noah and Abraham, probably somewhere on the Sinai Peninsula. Their understanding of the satellites, or the satellites, the the stars and the moons and the planets and everything are probably more advanced than we think they are, but they certainly don't have a Hubble telescope to see these things. And God is declaring that there are certain rules in place that controls where these things are and how they fly through space at millions of miles per hour and how they all relate to the earth itself things like gravity things like the movement of light through through a vacuum There's rules that we still don't fully understand. And God's saying, Job, you don't even understand the basics of the physical world. And now you're going to challenge me on what goes on in the spiritual realms. How about you start there first, Job? Do you even understand these things? You take for granted that they happen. And maybe you even give me praise when they do. But then don't forget that when you start looking at your own life, when you start examining your own situation, don't forget who God is. And we shouldn't forget either. Who is God and what is he, what is he doing? He has control over all these things. Again, he didn't just set them in motion and leave them to follow the rules and he'll be back if, you know, in Revelation, I'll be back. I'll send my son there for a little bit and so I'll have some involvement with you then I'm gone then I'll come back again at the very end and otherwise it just gets set in motion no he is actively involved in your life just as he is actively involved in causing the sun to come up just as he's actively involved in keeping the waves of the sea from crashing into the into the shore totally destroying it and wearing down the seashore he's in control of when the when the Floods come on the earth and they cause erosion and carry all of the soil down to the sea, basically flattening the earth if it were allowed to go long enough. God's in control of that. That's why we still have mountains. They aren't worn away and they never will be. God will continue to to withhold the earth and hold it up in its state. Certainly changes come and they have come, but it's all been under the hand of God. And again, the, the picture continues. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and you say and say to you, "Here we are." Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of the heavens when the dust hardens into a mass and the clods stick together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens and when they lie in wait in their lair? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment when the young cry to God and wander about without food? Again, all these things are in the hands of God. He's sending forth lightning, as we stated before. And here we have even the lightning responding to God. Here we are, we're ready to obey your very command. Let us go. Again, giving a, a personification of these inanimate objects that are in the hand of God. And I don't think that's, that's just as we might use that in literature as a, a literary device to, to make the lightning seem better or, or more alive. I think it's there so that because God is saying, look, the lightning is an inanimate thing that's gone like that. And I have command over it, and it goes exactly where I tell it to go, and it responds to me. You yourself, as a human being, have this will inside of you that wants to do what it wants to do, and I still, and you last a lot longer than a bolt of lightning. The lightning does what I tell it to do, and it goes where I tell it to go. How much more are you who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Look, Job, even your ability to figure these things out and study them are something that I gave you. Your ability and your mind to work is something that God is giving you. He has given wisdom to the innermost being or understanding to the mind. You can't even count the clouds. It's not like you can be wise enough to count every cloud. It's impossible. They're infinite. Can you tip, excuse me, can you tip the water jars of heaven? Can you make it rain so that when the dust hardens into a mass and the clods stick together? Can you cause one system to affect the other system and bring about change? You can't even do that, Job. I often laugh, again, not to beat up on the whole climate change thing, but I laugh that the belief is that man can actually control the climates and the seas and where they start and where they end. We can't even change the weather for one day. How much, how much more likely are we to be able to change an entire climate? And I probably should say on the side that at this point that we have great responsibility in caring for the earth. It's the first job God gave us. He gave it to Adam. You're in charge, Adam. Name everything. You're in control of it. These are the things I expect of you to do. And we should treat the earth with care, with great care. We should do all we can to take care of it, but that does not remove the fact that God is still on his throne and he's still intimately involved with everything that happens day to day. And we can rely on him and not fret that it will someday spin out of control because of the evil of man. If evil of man could outdo the will of God, this earth would have been lost long, long ago. And then... Just as God is the one who causes the water to fall in a desolate land and make seeds of grass to grow, grow, he is also the one who actually supplies the the animals that the lions hunt so they can feed their young. He is the one that gives the, I think the next, yeah, there's a cub. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really hard to find pictures of galaxies and lion cubs that aren't somehow right protected just so you're aware. If you ever want to search for those things and use them in a PowerPoint, it's very difficult. Um, God is actually in control of and caring for these things that require nourishment, whether it be a raven that eats both what is alive and what is dead, or the lion that eats living other living things. As that battle goes on between the, the hunter and the hunted, it is God that is supplying them. God is actively making sure that the lions, who the humans have no interaction with for fear of death, God is the one that makes sure they're fed. Can you imagine if our responsibility was to make sure that all the grackles got fed today? If your responsibility was, now some people think their responsibility is to make sure all the squirrels get fed. Raccoons, don't you feed raccoons, money? No? I was thinking you fed raccoons. Okay. Feed them. Okay. Think if you had to feed all the raccoons. Who feeds all the raccoons? God does. God makes sure they eat. And we don't know why. We don't understand it because they're just big. What's that? My prejudice is showing. Absolutely. A squirrel is nothing but a tree rat with a fuzzy tail. Um, God feeds them all. He makes sure all of them get what they need. It's crazy to think, but can you imagine if we, Job, what if you were in charge of making sure all the lions got fed? No, I take care of that, Job. What if you were in charge of making sure all of the ravens received the food they needed so that their young could live to the next generation? You want to know if God is actively involved with the earth today and with your life. He makes sure that the ravens get their food. He makes sure that the young lions are fed. Job, this is what I am actively doing. And then 39, chapter 39, verses 1 through 30 through this chapter, we see that God not only created the characteristics of the creatures on the earth, but he also has created their instincts and what it is they do and how they interact with the world, such as birds flying south for the winter. God created that. He puts that in them. He doesn't just give them their plumage and let them go. He puts in them how they survive from day to day. Verse 1 Do you know the time the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you count the months they fulfill? Or do you know the time they give birth? They kneel down, they bring forth their young, they get rid of their labor pains. Their offspring become strong and they grow up in the open field. They leave and do not return to them. This is the picture of, of, of animals that, yes, they can see and they can interact with, but I don't know if any of you have ever seen a deer give birth. Has anybody hunters seen? Yeah, that's a pretty, they, they know how to hide and they're involved with it. They don't need us there to be a midwife to help them with that. Can you imagine if that was our role? If you had to pull deer like you pull cattle. You don't even know when they're, when they're in heat. You don't know when they are through the first half of their pregnancy. You know nothing. You don't even know how long it is that a wild goat, a mountain goat, what their gestation period is, Job. You don't know these things. You don't take care of their young after they're born and they become strong and they grow up and they leave and they go on their way and they do the same thing. They're able to do what their parents have done. The process just keeps going forward. And you know what, Job, it doesn't need any of your help because they have me because I know and I take care of them. Just because you gain knowledge through observation does not mean you have the understanding, Job. And even if you understood all these things, as we now understand these things about mountain goats and, and deer in the field, doesn't mean you could actually create these complex systems. God is defining for Job why it is for him to, to want to come into the presence of God and sit down and question him on his suffering and Job's suffering was tremendously beyond anything any human being I know of since him has had to go through aside from Christ himself. You do not have the standing to come into my presence and question me, Job. Job. It sounds harsh, but it's not. I want this God in charge of my daily life. That's the other thing he's giving him is Job. Be reassured. I take care of the the, the mountain goat. I take care of the deer. I make sure they're all right. I'm involved intimately with what's going on. Verse five, who sent out the wild donkey free and who loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I gave the wilderness for a home and the salt land for his dwelling place. He scorns the tumult of the city and the shoutings of the driver. He does not hear. He explores the mountains for his pasture and searches after every green thing. This is a wild donkey rather than their domesticated cousins um, that do require shelter from man, that do require food from man to get from day to day. They live on next to nothing, and they live where no one else is, and nothing else that would graze on green things would be able to live, but the wild donkey is able to be there. In the harshest of circumstances, Job, even the wild donkey exists, and he is able to get by just fine. He requires no instruction and no guardian. In fact, he wouldn't take instruction if you gave it to him. He's not going to listen to the driver when he yells at him. You try to, try to domesticate one of these, and you're going to have to go through a breeding program where you select out the trait you want, because the traits that are in there now, they will not accomplish what you want a donkey to accomplish. It's how I have made them, and, and uh, they are able to sustain themselves, in, again, in the harshest of circumstances with very little given to them. They are actually able to thrive in the wild because I am a great God who's in charge of these things. Can you bind the wild ox in a furrow with ropes or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you trust him because his strength is great and leave your labor to him? Will you have faith in him that he will return your grain or gather it from your threshing floor? Let me switch to the next slide. I forget which animal I chose for the, the wild ox. I like that one. Some would say that's actually behemoth and we'll get to that when we get to behemoth. I think do I have the next one. Is that, yeah. So the Cape buffalo. Um, I highly recommend if you get to go on safari in Africa, you don't do like they do at Yellowstone and get out to try and pet the buffalo and try to pet one of these. They are, they are ferocious. They have no fear. You're not gonna put a rope around it and put a harness on it or um, a yoke and get it to do anything for you. It has no desire to do those things and it won't do those things. You don't want to be around one of these when they're mad. So think of the wild ox as something being the size and strength of maybe our white rhinoceros or or they may be referring to, to these as well. The Cape buffalo, that type of buffalo. Unable to be tamed or controlled even if you wanted to. He does not work for you. He won't. He only goes after what he himself wants. Now, one of the challenges of this picture is the idea that, well, isn't man in charge of all creation and doesn't everything fear man after the flood? Yes, they do. Man is still in the hierarchy things above these creatures that will not do what they say they, or will not do what man wants them to. Man does not have the control over these animals that God himself does. And I think that's one of the things that, that uh, God is pointing out here is that there are creatures that you have absolutely no control over, Job. I do. You think you can control the things in your life just like you can control the ox that pulls your grain to market. Well, there's oxes out there that you can't control that... I have given the earth and you can go and look at them, Job. There are things in your life that you don't have control, circumstances that are going to run the course that I have given them to run and you don't get to decide whether or not those things happen or not. And I could see seeing these things that you'd be going, ooh, ooh, I'll bet he's pretty strong. He could pull my plow pretty well. He probably is, but he ain't going to pull your plow. It isn't going to happen. Then we have the ostrich. The ostrich's wings flap joyously with the pinions and plumage of love. For she abandons her eggs to the earth and warms them in the dust... And she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may trample them. She treats her young cruelly as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, she is unconcerned because God has made her forget wisdom and has not given her a share of understanding. When she lifts herself on high, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Very interesting picture. Go to the next one of, of the ostriches. Oh, did I not get an ostrich? Oh, that's too bad. I missed the picture of the ostrich. Okay, so what is he talking about here? So ostriches, I learned a lot about ostriches this week. It's kind of fun. Um, They're interesting. So the male ostrich has a hen, but he also has kind of a harem. So he'll have three or four female ostriches and one of them will be the primary one. All of them will have eggs. The primary one will have the most eggs. And the, the other ostriches, other than the hen, will lay their eggs and leave. They're like, yep, all done. And the hen raises the brood herself. She will incubate the eggs and guard the eggs. So it's not that all ostriches ignore their nests. At least, and this is where we need to start talking a little bit about the fact that this was written like 4,000 years ago. And things have changed on the Sinai Peninsula since then, and animals that were there may not be there, and specific species of ostrich may or may not be present anymore. Just as we're going to find with, just like we kind of have to stretch our ideas of what is the wild ox, the ostrich may not be clearly here. But what we do know from the ostriches today is that after these are born, and this is wild, you can get a video of this, it is. Um, Anybody know the song, the watermelon crawl, the country music song? Okay. They kind of do that. Um, So you'll have two of these hens will come, come and they'll run into each other and they'll have a brood of these little tiny chicks and their ostriches get up and run around right when they're, when they hatch, they're like, let's go. Um, And they look like a whole bunch of little dinosaurs. It's kind of cool. And they'll come and they'll see another hen and her brood. And the more dominant one will drop its head to the ground, stick its tail feathers way up and like run in a waddling motion flat with its wings up and charge the other ostrich. Stop, kind of turn around and go to its brood, like showed her. The other ostrich will then do the same thing and they'll start kind of battling it out. Well, their young are all right there and they'll trample their young and just kill them. They're like, not important. What's important is I'm better than she is. They're, they're oblivious to what happens to their young and they'll end up crushing their own young. So that part we still see here. There's just, the point is, is that there's a, an amazing intricacy even to the fact that these ostriches, most of whom, again, deliver their eggs to the ground. They, they, they lay their eggs to the ground. Most of them just walk off and leave them. God provides this hen, but even this hen is ignorant and stupid and will trample her own young and not even really care about it. All the work that she's done is, is totally in vain, Why? Because God made her that way. He made her to forget wisdom. He made her, he didn't give her a share of understanding. He's just like, this is what I'm gonna have you do, now go do it. And that's beautiful and it's awesome and that's how God made the ostrich. Job, the things in life that don't make sense, the things in life that seem so foolish, and for me in my heart, I want everything to work really, really efficiently. So I I can't stand it when things aren't. Um, Those things... I put there. There's things, you're gonna go into nature and you're gonna see that I made that are not efficient and not as good as they could be, Job, but they're that way because I wanted them to be. There's things in life you're gonna experience that are just not gonna make sense. I, I look back at the divorce of my parents and say, that makes no sense to me. Why does this happen, Lord? God had a plan and that was his plan and and. We could spend the rest of, well, more than the rest of the time discussing the wonderful ways he's blessed me in my life, moving through that terrible thing that he still hates. But the final picture here of the ostrich is when she lifts herself on high, she laughs at the horse and his rider. So yeah, the, the, the ostrich can move at over 40 miles per hour when she gets going. And they're just amazing to watch. The way they run. There's something important to the ostrich. It can run fast. It can, it can beat horses. Keeping its young alive, not important to it. And yet it's, long, it's young live. It's young survive. It's young continue on. Just as in our own lives, even when things seem like they're totally pointless, God is doing something. He's working something. He's using that. He's created the situation. He's allowed the situation to happen, I should say, so that great things can come from it. And then we have the horse. Do you give the horse his might? Did you clothe his neck with a mane? Did you make him leap like a locust? His majestic snorting is terrible. He paused in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him. The flashing spear and javelin with shaking and rage. He races over the ground. He does not stand still at the voice of the trumpet. As often as the trumpet sounds, he says, aha. And he senses the battle from afar and the thunder of the captains and the war cry. So again, just to put your mind right, this is not a cow horse. This is not a core horse. This is, this is not what we look for in those animals. We want an animal that's steady, needs to be quick, in short little bursts, and it needs to not have fear, but it also doesn't need to go out and look for trouble. You don't want it to go and attack. Even, even the most attacking quarter horse we have now, would, I would say, uh, would be a cutting horse. And their goal is to direct the cow. It's not to attack the animal or direct the steer. It's not to attack it. Um, that, the closest thing we have to these horses are um, the horses that were used uh, prior to the Industrial Revolution in battle um, and ultimately were Arabian horses. Um, the picture I have here is of uh, the Black Stallion. So everyone's read the Black Stallion, right? Or at least seen the movie, which is a pretty good movie. If you, got, if you read the Black Stallion, it's great. So that horse and the, uh, Alec understood that that horse had its own mind and its own volition. And when it was faced with chasing another horse, that's what it's going to do. And it wanted the fight. It wanted to go. Um, those horses are rare anymore, but these are animals that actually you get on the animal and in battle and it senses where the fight is and it runs at full speed to the fight. You're not going to hold it back again, God gave it those characteristics. You can tame the horse, you can care for the horse, but ultimately what makes those horses great was that innate sense of wanting to do battle. That part, he's telling Job, was not given to you or given to them by you. It's not... Something that you produced in them, it's something that you found in them and you've taken advantage and maybe you've bred for those characteristics, but that the fearless, strong, loyal, athletic, aggressive, combative traits in the horses that they had at that time was not something that they gave the horse, it's something that God actually gave the horse. And we've, we've been working to breed that out of them looking for other characteristics Kind of like, did um, is it Rich Strike that just won the Kentucky Derby? Did you guys all watch that? If you haven't seen Rich Strike winning the Kentucky Derby at eighty to one, amazing race, and that 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 horse right afterwards is like looking for a fight. He's like he starts biting the the handler on the pony, and yeah, it's just hilarious. That's a horse looking for a fight. He did not like being at the back of the pack and decided he was going to move forward. But Job, that's not that's not you. Yes, I give you things in your life that you can control and you can use and you can take advantage of, but even those things are, are traits and, and characteristics of those circumstances are ones that, that I put in place for you to take advantage of, just like we see with the horse. And then finally this morning, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretches his wings to the south? That might be an allusion to to, uh, the, the birds and their innate desire to migrate in the fall, stretching its wings towards the south. Is it your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the cliff he dwells and lodges, up on the rocky crag, an inaccessible place. From there he spies food out, he spies out food. His eyes see it from afar. His young ones also suck up blood. And where the slain are, there is he. God gave birds of prey their instinct, not Job. Where they live is above anywhere where man can get to. Clearly men are not in control of it. If we go to the next, hopefully there's a the next slide because this is a cool picture. Yes, it's an osprey. So the shape they take to, to dive into the ground at the speed with which they dive is, is pretty amazing. Um, I didn't know they can contort their bodies that way. All these things that God has given them, so they can they can accomplish the role God has given them. You wouldn't even put them up on these high rocky crags because you don't even live up there, Job. It's not a place you can even get to. You you're not the one who feeds him. You're not the one who provides where he's going to live. You don't give him this incredible vision that he has. You don't provide for their young. You don't provide for the way they eat. You don't provide for the way they continue to procreate. Job, some of these things that are terrible and awful, you would avoid. If you were given, okay, Job, give me the list of the animals you want to make. This is not one you would necessarily put on your list because, again, he's not within your sphere of control. He's not even within your sphere of influence. And he certainly is something that, who wants to create an animal that feeds its young blood and hangs out where dead people are? Kind of the picture of the vulture as well, or the the bald eagle. All these things are given as examples. We'll stop there today. All these things are given as examples of... God's control of creation from the foundations of the earth in the deepest sea or even before then light and darkness all the way through to the individual characters that God has given in the animal kingdom of the things that Job can see but but he's saying here's here's what I'm like Job and here's what you're like. I'm going to contrast me and my dealings with the world, with you and your understanding and dealings with the world. So when you're coming to me and you're questioning me, understand who I am. And understand who you are, Job. And he just gives these specific examples in these, in these amazing creatures. Did anyone else grow up with character sketches? The book series? The, the, yeah. So, if you, I suppose it's on Amazon. Um, But they did a similar thing looking at different animals and and looking at their characteristics and then attaching that animal to the characteristics in a person in the Bible. The best part of those books are the drawings. The artwork is actually pretty cool. Um, But that's that's what Job has done here. Or the book of Job has done. It's gone through and God has shown Job in my creation. This is who I am as God. Again, in Romans, we see that man is without excuse. Each one of us can find in creation, qualities of God, of who he is. We can see the glory of God. You don't have to be a believer to see all these things about the fact that the sun keeps coming up every day. The seas don't overtake the land. These amazing creatures with incredible diversity have been born and exist. And we can see all these things and know that there is a creator. We're without excuse, according to Romans 1. We're without excuse in knowing and understanding the glory that is the creator, the glory is God of God. Ultimately, though, the gospel requires the preaching of his word, the declaration of what is the salvation plan of God, that Christ himself came and died on a cross to pay for our sins and was risen again so that we might have hope that we too might be part of that and we too might raise again someday to newness of life. That by believing in that display of God's grace and mercy, we too have salvation. But everyone should be in worship of God knowing that these are the characteristics he has and this is what he has done in in creation itself. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that you are a great God and you've created some amazing things that we can look at and feel and touch and interact with. Lord, I pray that we'd see these things in light of your character and in light of who you are and that it would cause us pause when we think of our own selves, Lord, that we wouldn't devalue who we are, but we would notice the difference between our understanding and our wisdom and your understanding and wisdom, Lord that during hard times we'd see that you are the one who is in control. Lord, during good times it's easy to do, but during hard times that can be difficult. We pray that you would grant us that, for we would need it as a gift because there are things that we're slow to understand and and we go through life that seems oblivious to, just as some of the creatures you have created, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this day and pray that you'll be with us as we turn to your word and worship you and prayer and and singing and giving. Amen.